Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. Lovely to see you all. I've missed my church family, so it's good to be here. And it's January the 8th, isn't it? 2023, is that right? Yeah. And we stand in a building in Stanningley, which is in Leeds, which is in England, which is in the UK, which is in Europe, which is on this thing we call planet Earth. Yeah. And we're just a few of many billions who have lived, who, who are living right now. That's a lot of people, and we're only going to ever get to meet just a fraction of them. And I spent one of my days over Christmas in London, and I wandered up and down the South Bank, and I was on my own. It was, it was wonderful, to be quite honest with you. And, um, but I don't know about you, London, big cities, whenever I go to a place like that, I don't know about you, I feel, I feel quite small. Surrounded by lots of people, lots of languages. This was the 27th of December, so there were loads of tourists in London. And each one, of course, is a different life story. And I can't help but think, what do we have in common? I can't help but think, what do all these people think about their very short time on this thing called planet Earth? And whether we think about it deeply or not, I don't know, our role within this thing, which we call history, has been debated time and time again. I mean, how, do we, how should we interpret this thing called history? You know, is it that history is just meaningless? That things will just gradually run down to, to nothing? No, the struggle through which human history passes has no meaning, because actually there's no meta-narrative, there's no bigger picture story. There's no meaning, there's no purpose. Perhaps we believe that, that history is a journey from a, a dark, oppressive past to an ever more glorious present. That's called a Whig interpretation of history, W-H-I-G, if you're interested. It's very humanistic. Then the 20th century came along and kind of put pay to that theory when you think about what the 20th century held. Two world wars, economic ravage, all that kind of stuff. You see, there are all sorts of interpretations, but none of these particularly work for me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, they're probably not going to work for you either. But the interesting thing, which I think should encourage us, is that most people who I've spoken to who don't have a religious faith struggle with those interpretations I've mentioned too, because most of them don't seem to ring true. The human heart seems to want more. So this series is, about, is an interpretation of history that I think we should believe in, that we should anchor our very lives to. It's of great significance to the past, to the present, and to the future. Not only for our own lives, but for all the lives of those billions of people who live on this thing called planet Earth. So our view of history, and you've probably heard this before, it's a little bit cheesy, but I like it. Our view of history is his story. Have you heard that before? It's his story. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of the kingdom of God. And in this view, history has direction, it has meaning, it has purpose. It's going somewhere. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the key to the history of the world is the kingdom of God. And so this series is called Your Kingdom Come. And, and this is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray, didn't he? And this is what this series will be exploring. I'm really excited about this series. And it's likely, I'm hopeful, that this series 
will unsettle us and challenge us deeply because the kingdom of God should. And my question is, right at the start of this series, are we prepared to be unsettled? And when I say unsettled, I mean in a good, spirit-led way. Are we prepared to be challenged? I hope so. So, what is the kingdom? Well, the series is going to answer that question as we go through it, but I'm just going to give a very brief set of kind of definitions that I found really helpful as I prepared for this. We've got a 10 or so week series which is going to unwrap this, unpack this. So I'm, I'm being fairly ambitious today. We're going broad, but my challenge to you at the start of this year is for you to go deeper. Don't just make this a Sunday thing. Don't just make this a Sunday thing. Go deeper into this because it's, it's wonderful stuff. But firstly, a guy called Graham Goldworthy, he said this. If we can just move on, Rob, thanks. He said, God's, this is what the kingdom of God is. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Another man called George Ladd. I think this is slightly better. He says, the kingdom of God is his kingship, his rule, his authority. And then he expounds on this. He says, when this is once realized, we can go through the New Testament and find passage after passage where this meaning is evident, where the kingdom is not a realm or a people, but God's reign. And that's why I'm the line, God's reign. That's really important. Therefore, the kingdom isn't the church. Okay? But the church, we obviously have a really key role to play because we are custodians of this kingdom. As citizens of God's rule and reign, we are to be ambassadors of the kingdom wherever we go. And so, like I said, I'm going to be fairly ambitious this morning. I hope you're with me. I thought, you know what, January the 8th, these guys are going to be fresh. They've had a break. They're rested. They're ready to go deep into this stuff. We'll see how we go. So, let me start by saying that the kingdom of God is a little bit like a game of pass the parcel. It's a little bit like a game of pass the parcel because it's multi-layered. The more we uncover, the more we unwrap the closer we get to the very heart of God, the center of things, the center of history, what Jesus fulfilled. His reign is the gift that keeps on giving and giving and giving. It tells us what is to come. Ultimately, this is good news, there is going to be a perfect kingdom. There'll be new heavens and a new earth. Secondly, knowledge and experience of the kingdom is something that we need to pass on. We are to demonstrate and announce our experience of the kingdom, which is God's wonderful reign in our lives. So we're going to be doing some unwrapping this morning. We're going to be unwrapping what Jesus said. Uh, sorry, we're going to be unwrapping um, some of the story of the kingdom, some of. We're going to be unwrapping some of what Jesus said about his fulfilling of, of, of prophecy and kingdom. And we're going to be unwrapping some of our role. What's our role as citizens of this kingdom? And so what we need to know is that the kingdom, the kingdom is at the very heartbeat of Jesus' mission. It's central to his preaching, absolutely central. Do you know, just in the book of Matthew, which quite a lot of us are reading right now, Jesus references the kingdom 50 times. This gives us an idea. And what I want us to be really clear about as we start this series is this is not a New Testament thing. 
This is the whole storyline of the Bible, which is why we're going to be unwrapping the story first. So, we're going to start by doing some unwrapping. Dan, I'm going to start with you. You look like a good unwrapper to me. Now, as you unwrap each layer, there should be a verse which is going to help us as we unwrap this story. Okay? There should be a verse, and it should be on... What does it say, Dan? Yeah, shout it out. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. Let's read it. Right at the start of the Bible. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Notice, God blessed them. Then he says, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. They're probably quite familiar words to most of us. But what does it tell us right at the start? It tells us that we have a, a royal creator, an author of life who speaks the world into order. And then out of amazing and great love, he, he shares it with created beings. He makes Adam and Eve. And notice, blessings flow from God's rule. They are given then, Adam and Eve, the job of ruling over. God shares his authority with his creation from the very start. It's wonderful. God creates then a perfect, ordered kingdom called Eden. But of course, you know, we know where this goes, don't we? We know things go wrong. We see the first rebellion against the kingdom. Everything is spoilt. Death and sin enters the world. Creation is disordered, and this alternative kingdom is established. In Romans 6.23, Paul talks about an age of sin and death. But thankfully, God's not done with his creation, even though, of course, the human race now had to face the consequences. Let's keep unwrapping. Dan, pass it, pass it on. <laughs> no. Thanks, Sam. So, what's our next verse that's going to help us? Genesis 12, 2 to 3. I must confess, I'm breathing a sigh of relief because Mez was so kind to me yesterday afternoon and she made this for me because I had so many things to do. And I, thought, I hope she's got it right. She has. She's brilliant. <laughs> Genesis 12, 2 to 3. I had every confidence today. I think, we, I think those who are reading the Bible in the year read this yesterday. So we should be familiar with these words. I will make you into a great nation. This is Genesis 12, 2 to 3. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God uh, uses Abraham and Sarah, doesn't he? Do you remember this? To create a kingdom that's going to contrast with the rest of the world. The Israelites are going to be formed. And what we have is this reinstating of God's kingdom. And we have this un unconditional promise. That's really struck me, and I mentioned it yesterday in my thought of the day. This guaranteed commitment from God, which has, of course, meant good news for us thousands of years later. But remember, this isn't Eden. This isn't Eden. Because there's now a battle with the kingdom of Satan. Because sin has entered the world. And so um, Vaughan Roberts, he helpfully describes this as a partial kingdom. So God is going to use Abraham and Sarah to establish a holy people, Israel. Citizens of his kingdom who will live under his rule 
and his reign and thus be a blessing to all people on earth because they will be a city on a hill. They're going to be the salt of the earth. That's the plan anyway, isn't it? But we're going to fast forward a few years. Pass the parcel on. Go through a few people. It doesn't need to be some music, Luke. Um, okay, and stop there. So, just pause there a bit, Matt. We're going to fast forward several hundred years. And what do we see? We, well, we find the Israelites, the chosen kingdom bearers, in, and they're in captivity. Where are they in captivity? Egypt. Yeah. And Egypt's a terrible kingdom. They're slave labor. The Israelite babies are killed because they have become too numerous in number. Let's find out about it. Matt, please unwrap. Exodus 3, 15 to 17. Let's unwrap a bit more of the story. Tell the Israelites that I, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's making himself very clear, have sent you to them. This is my name forever. This is what all future generations are to call me. Go and gather the leaders of Israel together and tell them that I, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appear to you. Repetition is always important. Tell them that I have come to them and have seen what the Egyptians are doing to them. I have decided that I will bring them out of Egypt, where they are being treated cruelly, and I will take them to a rich and fertile land. So God chooses Moses. This is who God is speaking to, yes? Moses. And he uses them to go to Pharaoh. And of course, most of us will probably remember how this goes. We get the ten plagues. And we'll know how it ends. Ultimately, it ends with Pharaoh, the earthly tyrant. It ends with his destruction. The Red Sea comes crashing down on him and his, him his, and his army. And the slaves are freed. The Israelite slaves are freed. Do we remember this? Good. And just as an aside, in God's kingdom, circumstances are changed. And what we see here is God's intervention. And again, we see God reinstating. We see God reinstating his rule and reign. And the Israelites recognize this because it's interesting. When we get uh, through the Red Sea in safety, they sing a song of praise to God. Exodus 15, 18 says, the Lord reigns. This is their song. The Lord reigns. You're our king forever and ever. We see the reassertion of his reign. And we see another covenant relationship. And then we get this, um, we get the rules for the kingdom. Yeah? We get the rules for the kingdom, the Ten Commandments. What we have is God making it very clear as to how they are to live in his kingdom. Let's fast forward again. Pass it on. Thanks, Matt. Let's stop there. Let's unwrap. Thank you. 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 4 to 7, which says this. So remember, we're carrying on the story of the kingdom. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old 
and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. It was a good thing to do. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. See, the Israelites want an earthly king. They want to be just like the other nations. They've rejected their true king, God, and they want to emulate. They want to copy their neighbors. And so the age of Israelite kings begin, earthly kings. And, and how, do these, how do these kings do? Well, there's some good ones. I think things start fairly well. Again, we see blessings for those who establish themselves under God's rule. Solomon, David, perhaps. But does it last? No. Actually, most of the kings are pretty terrible, aren't they? Interestingly, most of the kings start to resemble good old Pharaoh. But now we're going to look ahead. Because that's what the prophets did. Because that's also in our big story of the Bible, isn't it? Because throughout the Bible, we read of what some have called the prophesied kingdom. The kingdom to come. And of course, the prophets, remember, these are God's mouthpiece on earth. They are saying some really interesting things about how God is going to redeem and save his created people. Because, of course, they keep messing up. A new kingdom. A new king is coming. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, whose latest pharaoh is the Romans, is Caesar, well, they're on the lookout for this new king big time. And they would have been very interested and known this next reading very well. So let's pass this on and let's see where we get to. Come on, Julie. Thank you. There are so many things we could unwrap. That's, I suppose that's why I'm saying we've gone broad today and I've gone I'm fairly ambitious. I've just had to choose just a few. What have we got, Julie? Isaiah 9, 6-7. Isaiah 9, 6-7. Familiar words because we've probably just read them out at Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Sounds like a king to me. This is someone clearly without peer. They're matchless. They are God himself, everlasting father. They're timeless. This is a king who's going to govern with perfect justice and peace. His kingdom's going to last forever. And, and this is 700 years before Jesus is even born. And you know, there are so many scriptures we could look at. That's why I'm saying, I'm, I, you know, go out, guys. Look at this for yourself. This is not just a Sunday thing. Go and find this out for yourself. It will enrich you deeply. But this, let me tell you something in summary, because this is what today is about. It's an introduction. Jesus simply said something in John 5.39. Basically about the prophetic stuff that's said about him. In John 5.39, he, he just says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. In other words, he's saying, this all points to me. 
Everything points to him. All is fulfilled through him and by him. Vaughan Roberts says this. It says, all the promises of the kingdom of God are fulfilled in Christ. He is God's people, God's place, and God's rule. And this is what this series is going to reveal to us. So now we're going to spend a little bit of time unwrapping some of, just some of, what Jesus said about his fulfillment of kingdom promises. And probably what you'll notice in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, is that we very clearly see words than deeds. Jesus says this about himself, then he goes and does it. Those of us who are reading Matthew right now, hopefully you've seen this. So let's pass this on. I'm going to wrap a little bit more. So what did Jesus say about himself that made it really clear who he was? Well then, Neil, can you open that for us? Luke 4, 18. Thanks, Neil. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Jesus goes on to say, today, this scripture, and he's quoting Isaiah 61, more prophecy about him, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is proclaiming himself as the one who will bring this good news to pass. And again, just as an aside, something I would recommend for 2023, Mez and I are watching the uh, series three of The Chosen, and the last episode we watched was When Jesus Does This. And it's really powerful. I really recommend that. We found that really quite useful. Let's keep on going. Can you pass it on, please? There we go. Stop there, please. Can we unwrap the next layer? <laughs> Things don't change. Oh, yeah. Mark 1.15. What else did Jesus say? The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. <laughs> Repent and believe the good news. So this is Jesus starting his public ministry. He's saying it's near. It's imminent. It's arriving. Well, what is well, this is what this series is about, because that's what we're going to be unwrapping over the course of the next few months. But let me give you a very quick snapshot. Because again, those of us who are reading the Bible in the year have been grappling with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. And what Jesus said his kingdom was like, what was near, is deeply challenging. It's, it's countercultural. it's counterintuitive, it's radical. He said, love your enemy. Not the most practical thing to do. He said, what do we do with those who we don't like, who persecute us? He says, pray for them. He says, the last shall be first. He says, to assert one's rule and reign is to serve. He says this kind of a thing. But fundamentally, Jesus calls us to repent. Repent and believe the good news. Do you know, acknowledgement of our fallen character is essential if we are to receive citizenship of God's kingdom. The good news is that we are forgiven. We can be forgiven. Our forgiveness is to be set loose from sins. You know, as someone once said, our God 
has a very big eraser. And you can be forgiven today. You can walk out of here a citizen of the kingdom. Because the essence of grace is that we are to receive freely, not achieve fretfully. Achieve freely, not, uh, uh, sorry, receive freely, not achieve fretfully. Let's pass the parcel on. Now we're going to find and look at one example, thanks Nick, stop there, of what Jesus did. So we've had some words, now we're just going to have one thing that he does. Matthew 4.19, thank you. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And you might be saying, what's that? That's, he's saying this. But what I think is really wonderful is that he's starting to assert his, he's starting, uh, asserting his kingdom there because he's forming people around him. That's what kings do, don't they? They form and gather their subjects and people to them. And the disciples are being summoned. He says, come, follow me. Almost immediately, Jesus asks them to prioritize him, to submit to his rule, to submit to his authority. Straight away, he asks them to make a choice. This is a choice that is still the most important one you will ever make in this short life on this thing we call planet Earth. So we've had a whistle-stop tour of some of the story of the kingdom and some of what Jesus said. And just, it's going to make us uncomfortable at times, but I'm excited because there's so much to unwrap. But we are going to continue unwrapping just for a little bit longer because now we're going to unwrap a little bit of what our role, our role as citizens of the kingdom of God What do we say? What do we do? What's our role under God's reign and kingdom? Well, we pray your kingdom come, don't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth or in church as it is in heaven. And you know, the life and fellowship of the Oak Church in Stanningley, in Leeds, in England, in the UK, in Europe, this thing called planet Earth. The life and fellowship of this church ought to be, needs to be, a fellowship of people where God's will is done. That bit of heaven on earth, yeah? Do you know there's a temptation? Dare I say it, there's an expectation. John spoke about this yesterday. We start a new year by saying, basically, in general summary, I'm going to be better. That's what we do, don't we? I'm going to work harder, get fitter, eat better, get promoted, get a job. (laughs) Read the Bible more, etc., etc. And all of these things, of course, are good. But let me encourage you to consider two things as we start this year and this series. Let me encourage you to consider keys and being poor in spirit. If you've got keys, can you just get them out? Let's just use them as a bit of a symbol. Resist the urge to jangle them. (laughs) 
See, we're part of the global church. And those of us who make up the church, we are the custodians. I said that before, didn't I? Of the kingdom. That means we are to care and to protect. We are to partner with God in maintaining it. We are to partner with God in advancing the kingdom. Okay? Where did that parcel get to? Let's pass it to Ray. Ray, can you wrap our next passage for us? Keep your keys out. Keep thinking about them. Matthew 16:19. Thanks, Ray. Matthew 16:19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is spoken to Peter, yes, but it's repeated to all of his disciples later on in Matthew 18, which means it's really important for us. And we need to recognize that there's a really close connection between the church, us, and the kingdom. As we proclaim the good news of the kingdom, people will come into this church and begin to experience the blessings of God's rule in their lives. That's how this works. The kingdom manifests itself through us, the church, and thereby the future reign of God breaks in. So it's the teaching of Jesus that we're going to be exploring in this series that are the keys of the kingdom. But that means something really powerful. That means that when you speak, or when any faithful Christian who speaks the words with the bedrock of Jesus' identity at the very center, when you speak those words faithfully, you, we, are using the keys of the kingdom to open the kingdom in people's lives. So my question is, are you prepared to be a key holder? Are you, pre- are you prepared to partner with God to be a key turner? Let's put our keys away. But keep that symbol, keep that illustration in your mind. Keep that question and let it sink in. Let's keep the present going, please. Let's hand it to Ben. Just a few more to unwrap. Thank you. Psalm 84, verse 10, which says this. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I don't know about you, I find that a beautiful thought and image. To be a doorkeeper in the house of God, to the house of God, that place where God's gracious rule and reign is. We are not to drag people kicking and screaming into the kingdom. In you get! We know it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. But we are to play our part in preparing the way to make straight paths. We probably go to John the Baptist, don't we? That's what he did. He was a royal herald. He paved the way to Jesus. We are to do likewise. We are welcome. We are to welcome people to the door of the kingdom. We are to be keepers of the door. 
And of course, this is something that we do have an element of the key to. Are we using it? We're going to wrap one more thing. Can you pass it to Valerie? Valerie, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this verse hasn't left me since reading it over Christmas. And in fact, I've done something I've never done before. I've made this the verse for my year. Anyone else do that? Anyone have verses for the year? Because I just couldn't leave it. I just couldn't leave it. It's one of those moments where God spoke to me very clearly. And I know why. Most of you will know I've been made redundant from my, my other role. And God just said to me, that title at the charity you work for, all of those things that you've done, the pride that was in your heart, I want to strip you of that. And I want to give you this verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because... To be blessed in this way, to be poor in spirit, is to empty ourselves, to empty yourself of worldly desires, of motivations. You know, the original Greek has connotations with being just like beggars. Again, those of us who are reading Bible in the Year, I think Nicky Gumbel says it like this. It means to be brought low or weakened to the point of realizing our need to depend only on Jesus. So what would I say to us about this? I mean, why does Jesus start with this? This phrase? Because it's likely to be, you know, this is how he starts his first major sermon. In front of many people, he starts with this, which I think makes it very significant because he puts it first for a reason. Because so much flows out of being poor in spirit. So what would Jesus say to us about this as we start a new year? As we start a series on his kingdom? I think he's saying that we need to be in possession of the opposite to a worldly spirit. I think he's saying we can't bring in the, we can't bring in the kingdom with a worldly attitude and spirit. Self-confidence, self-assurance, self-reliance, all those things that our world treasures, let's be honest, has no place in this kingdom. Being poor in spirit is emptying yourself of those things. It means absence of pride. Henry Drummond said this. This is really challenging. The entrance fee into the kingdom of God is nothing. The annual subscription is all we possess. We are to give ourselves over to his reign. So how do we become poor in spirit in 2023? Oh. Well, it's to read this book about him, isn't it? It's to see how people responded to him in this book. It's to obey the teaching and commands we find in this book. It's to respond when summoned. Come, follow me. It's to let the Spirit remind you that this will always be the best news you've ever heard and responded to. It's to daily ask, Lord, increase my faith 
It's to know that the kingdom should be our top priority. Jesus said, seek second the kingdom. Oh no, sorry, didn't. What did he say? He said, seek first the kingdom. Someone said, everyone wants the kingdom of God, but few want it first. We need to seek this kingdom first before anything else. It's to look upon him and keep looking upon him and keep looking upon him. And when we do that, I don't know about you, but we tend to get to a point where we might say something like this. And I'm coming into land here. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Amen. Let me pray for us while the, the guys come up. Father God, you tell us to pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray your kingdom come. We pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed, that the kingdom of grace may be advanced with ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. And we pray that your kingdom of glory come quickly. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that by his grace, God would make us have the capability and the will to know, obey, and, and submit to his will in everything. And so, Father, we ask, would you go before us in this series? Would you make our hearts soft? Would you make our ears quick to listen, our mouths slow to speak? We ask that you would change us to be more complete image bearers of your Son. Send us out with keys in our hand and grace in our hearts, ready to serve you, our great King of Kings, our great author of history. We do this all for you. In Jesus' name, amen.